Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Great to be together. Grab your Bibles. I want to hear the rustling of old-fashioned leaves. Rustle, rustle, rustle. Um, All right, all the swiping of screens, if you must. I know we're in San Francisco, Tom. Um, Great to be together. um, We're in Mark chapter 4. And uh, this is this unusual chapter in the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if you know that. Because, unlike most of Mark, which is action-packed narrative, Mark 4 is suddenly this sort of change where it's all these parables, these stories. It's really interesting. It's very different to the rest of Mark. And the very last verse before this chapter, we've had ringing in our ears, where it says here, Jesus says in verse 35, these haunting words that I think frame what, what John Mark is trying to do in suddenly telling all these parables. He says this, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. The context that Jesus is saying these words is that his mum and dad and brothers and sisters are literally there and they have think, been thinking he's crazy. They're working against God's will. Jesus is busy setting people free from demonic oppression. He's doing God's will. One man on planet Earth is actually getting it right. And his flesh and blood are all embarrassed and confused and they think, what's he doing? And and the scene is that they've been trying to get Jesus to stop. Plus, the religious leaders who should have been leading the charge were not doing God's will. They were calling Jesus, they were saying, you're doing this under demonic power. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's demons casting out demons. And Jesus, in this kind of moment of almost loneliness, he's like this lonely person, he's the only person who is actually hearing God's will and doing God's will. He says these incredibly profound words, and where he draws a contrast between even his biological family and the true family that Jesus wants on earth. What, what does it mean for you to be called Jesus' brother? Or Jesus' sister. Well, Jesus is saying, if you do God's will, then I count you my sister. I count you my brother. So that's the context. And last week, with these kind of, this, you know, this challenging context, well, you know, the million dollar question is, how? How on earth do I do God's will? I hear you cry. Last week, we looked at the first answer Jesus gave us which is the first half of Mark 4. It's the parable of the soil, right? The three soils that are bad, the shallow soil, the hard soil, the congested soil. He's saying if your hearts are shallow or hard or just flooded with other stuff, you've got no chance in terms of doing the will of God and actually, in a sense, being my brother or my sister. Then we looked at the good soil. Can I have a Hallelujah. The positive in it. He's like, if you actually care for your soul, 
and you take care as best you can over your inner life. There is so much value in that. Life isn't just about frantic busyness, he's saying. It's about inner cultivation. And then you can be someone who, when you get to the end of your race, your father says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the first step. The second step today in answering how do we be a people who therefore do the will of God, we're going to see, I think, in the following three parables. Three parables with three promises, but one point. And if you want to summarize what this point is, I'll do my best to make this as sticky as possible. It's this. How do we do God's will? First point last time was care about your soul. Second point is this, and you can almost imagine actually the smile of the Father as he says this. Because he's, you know, these are like intense words, right? How do we do God's will? He says, listen, friend, God can do so much with so little. Let's say that little refrain together. God can do so much. One, two, three. God can do so much with so little. We're going to look at the fact that in these three parables, these very simple but profound stories, this theme of littleness, weakness, smallness, is like a golden thread throughout them, releasing us from this pressure. You know, we hear Jesus says, you know, uh, for you to be my brother or my sister, you've got to do God's will. And we all, you know, our blood pressure goes up, anxiety fills the room, and we're like, oh no. And we often think, you know, uh, I'm not 100% clear how to do this. I'm not 100% strong. I've come here today, Tom, so weak. How on earth am I meant to do God's will? And what Jesus so beautifully communicates here is, do you know what? Actually, it's nearer than you think. Being able to hear God and obey God. The thing that Adam and Eve screwed up and is actually the most important you know, quest any human can have. How do I obey God? And in a sense, the hardest thing that we can ever do. He's saying, but at the same time, look at these stories and realize that I can do so much with just such little. The perfectionist in us wants to kind of almost often work against us even getting going with this. And these parables fill us with hope. So, can somebody read verse 21 to 34? 21 to 34. It's going to come up on the screen. So, nice and loud, someone. Then I'll jump on one. I'll do it. Oh, thank you. Great. He said, to, do you want me to read that version? Is it okay? If uh, either one's fine, okay. yeah. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Mm. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know it, how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. There's the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, it puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. 
Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Thank you. Wow, so much in here. Um, what, what strikes you when you see it, when you read that and hear, hear it read? What catches your attention? I think the verse that stuck out for me mm-hmm. was, was 22, where it says, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Mm. Without just light, yeah. transparency, yeah. having God... God knows all and sees all anyway. Right. Bring it out, air it out, yeah. get it out there. Yeah, that's good. Did you find it? What did, What did you feel when um, you heard that? Verse twenty-two. <coughs> sort of like a like a release of that pressure. Okay. Like oh, okay, yes. it doesn't have to be hidden away. Yeah. Here it is. Great. Yeah. Some light on it. That's great. <laughs> I like it. Anyone else? Any other images or words or I think for me verse twenty seven Thomas is night and day whether he sleeps or gets up the seed sprouts yeah. and grows, though he does not know how. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the does not know how reading in my devotions this week about you know, some of us plant, some of us water, yeah. But it's God who brings the growth. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. concurring with that yeah. same train of thought. I love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember when it's appropriate that I tell you the Hebrew and the English of the prayer that Jesus said at every meal of thanking God for the bread. Mm-hmm. He gives us bread from the earth, alluding to the same parable. Mm-hmm. Seed going into the earth and coming up, grain sprouting, harvest becomes bread, and he is the bread of life. Yeah. I mean, it's so much a part of Jewish culture and farming and all of this is very intermingled with yeah. what the Jews said and what he said every single day, thanking mm. God for yeah. and alluding to Thanks for that. It's beautiful. I think it's this idea of things starting so small, mm-hmm. things being small, yeah. and not despising that, but these small things turn into big things. Yes. But kind of they're almost it's not the humans making that happen yeah. it's uh, you know nature or God you know yeah. making doing that but they have to just first act to right. plant a small thing yes. <laughs> yeah it's almost like a slightly comical kind of picture isn't it it's yeah. like very relaxed and kind of pressure releasing and very sort of human earthy yeah. it's not kind of like super spiritual it's like mm, bit like a seed back in the ground you know it's beautiful the feel of it is remarkable we get very I think we get over familiar with some of these things What? maybe one more thought yeah for me it's about there's this common theme of things happening that you cannot see yeah. so the seed that's mm-hmm. in the ground and something's happening there but you don't see Yeah. Uh, things that are hidden this light that is hidden so 
there are things that are happening that we might not be aware of. Yeah. But work, God is working on those. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, at some point we'll see the things, you know, little plants sprouting. Mm-hmm. But it has been a lot of work in the right behind the scenes yeah. that, that we're not aware of. Yes. I love that, Victor. Yeah. Just share one more thing. I know you said we're done. No, no. I think it's really encouraging that he specifically at the time found like the smallest analogy you could find. Right. It's like that's like the equivalent today of like an atom, right? Or a molecule. But he knew what those were, but people around him didn't know what those were at the time. Right. So he's saying like, I'll take just kernel yeah. of faith. Yeah. And I look at my own life where maybe I have anxiety or um, fear. Mm-hmm. It's an absence of that mustard seed. Yeah. Right? It's the opposite. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the Gospels are this incredible journey of the times, shocking challenge. Okay? Jesus was shocking challenge. But but there is also this beautiful balm this this healing kind God even when he challenges there's this again and again the good news I don't know what you think Christianity is but it's it is the the grace of God the grace and the kindness of God again and again knowing our frame knowing we are but dust knowing that we're that we're weak Um, and again kind of helping us to live in, in the okayness of that. Not so that we don't do anything. No, no. We're going to see actual an invitation to action, call to action. But the flavour and the feel of it is crucial. So I'm just going to look at these three promises, these three stories. Um, but I do think there's a central point here, which as I've said, is that I think Jesus is saying, in terms of how do we do his will, which when you get to the end of your life, it is the most important thing that you could ever give your energy to. It's shocking, you know. If you, what is it? It's, it's to know God's will for your life day by day, and to do it. So this isn't. Please don't go. Oh yeah, whatever. This is crucial, 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 crucial thinking. But the feel of this is that God can do so much through so little. And I think there's three examples of little that we've just looked at. Number one, He can do so much through a little light. We'll look at that briefly. First story. Secondarily, he can do so much through just a little scattering. And then thirdly, he can do so much through us with just a little seed. Okay, let's just briefly look at those one by one. First first story, verse 21, he says here, He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? It's a rhetorical question. Okay. Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm, you know, a bit of a narcissist, so I make everything about me. And when I read this, I generally have always thought, oh yeah, I need to be the lamp. Jesus is like looking at me going, I've done everything for you, Tom. I'm about to die on the cross for you. So the least you can do is shine like a little light in this world for me and get out there into Portola and shout at the top of your lungs, you know? Shine! And I feel this sort of pressure. You're meant to be. You know, and I kind of feel like Adam and Eve. Take away your fig leaf! No! You know, kind of shamed. And here I am. And I kind of read it and I feel like fairly vulnerable. Anyone here feel at some sort of version of that? Basically, 
you make it about you. Now, it is about you a bit. But this is actually not mainly about you. Can I have a hallelujah? Because who in the Bible is mainly referred to when we think about things like the light of the world or the lamp? His name is? I mean, Isaiah 60 says, um, even before Jesus came, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises above you. See, thick darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears upon you. Hallelujah. We see in the Gospel of John <laughs> that he's like, the light has come. And the light, you know, the world doesn't like the light. But Jesus is the light of the world. And in Revelation 22, at the end of all things, John again, by the Spirit, when he's painting the picture of what is going to happen, he says these famous words, verse 3 of 22, no longer, this is the new heavens and the new earth, no longer will there be any curse, no more darkness, no more evil. He says, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Wow. There will be no more night. There will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. It's amazing. He's saying, Jesus is saying right now, like he's in a hostile environment, okay? Even his family don't get him. No, very few people get him, which is why he spoke in parables. It's a bit like if you're kind of, you know, you're in a bank robbery and there's all these, you know, mean bank robber people and you're kind of talking to each other in code in case they understand. Like, oh, I wonder what's over there. Panic button. There's a panic button. You know, you're kind of talking in code because if he said, oh, I'm God on earth, you know, they're going to, they're not going to swarm to him. They don't like the light. So the parables were because of the existence of the darkness. The very fact that he's having to talk in this coded way is so he doesn't get killed prematurely. That's how dark it is. But Jesus is saying, right now I'm hidden. But guess what? I'm not meant to be hidden ultimately. Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. This is this picture of Jesus saying, I'm here. And with every passing week, day, month and millennia of of history, I am going to be rising up more and more. The lamp is coming and I will one day shine and every single eye will see, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is actually about him, about him saying the lamp is coming. And it's not ultimately about you. Isn't that a relief? This is first and foremost about him just saying through code, you need to understand, finally the light of God is actually here. And you're not going to respond well to this, you're going to basically kill me. So I'm having to stay somewhat hidden. But this is just the beginning. The lamp and the light of God is coming finally to planet Earth. And I want us just to notice something that is obvious, but is really huge and I think we miss. Even in the Revelation passage, it says there will no longer be any curse. Thick darkness covers the earth. Remember, Robbie, three weeks ago, spoke about this. Jesus says there's a strong man. He's saying Satan is really real. As Christians, sometimes we, in the West, I think we just forget that it isn't like, oh, the Bible doesn't just say, oh, we've just all got different worldviews. 
And I know we, we often talk like that with our friends who don't have a Christian worldview, to honour that, to honour the friendship and, and the, in a sense, the dignity of all humans. But the Christian worldview is that if you are not in, in Christ, you are in the grip of the evil one. Which maybe I'm just slow, but it's just that when you think about that, in the grip of the strong man, is what Jesus has said, that people, before they have their eyes open to Christ, are actually in a terrifying kind of darkness. Mm-hmm. I went to Alcatraz a few weeks ago, the Andrews, and I don't know if you've done the Alcatraz trip, but you go around, it's pretty amazing actually, and then there's this one bit called D-Wing, which is where if you really are you know, bad, you go there, and it's just isolation. Cells. But within D-Wing itself, there's another zone of these terrifying cells that have double thick, like two doors, and they're literally pitch black. It's like hell. And if, you're, if you really muck up, they put you in there for as long as they see fit. And I tell you, even going in with all these tourists, going into this tiny black cell where they would shut one door pitch black and then another door, <laughs> like I was kind of, I've got to get out, I've got to go, you know, this is not, this is not cool. Um, you know, the Bible says thick darkness, thick darkness covers the earth. So this idea, this isn't a game, right? Church isn't a game. You, you know that, like this Christianity thing is not just about us. It's about the sense in which the, the, Satan, the evil one, is really, really real. And the church, the light. It's the place where Christ is meant to shine. And so we have to understand that Jesus is saying, we're in a really dark time. Okay, One day Christ is going to turn, but right now there's darkness. There is darkness in this world. And that should sober us. You know, We know we're like a charismatic church. We like to rejoice, and I get that. But there's also the grounding of the reality of the gospel, which says, right now, this is a very dark world. And people are in the grip of personal evil. That is literally what it says repeatedly. And if it's down to us to somehow be light enough to get them out, that's terrifying. Because I feel incredibly weak. You know, most nights when I attempt to pray for my daughters before they go to bed, I'm exhausted. And I pray the most rubbish prayer ever. <laughs> and then I, literally, I go to bed and almost every night I feel slightly, like, slightly ashamed of my pr- rubbish prayers. And like, that was, I was so un like illuminating I was the worst lamp dad ever you know I, I wish I was like and Lord you know and I'm just like oh God I pray for Daisy Lord you know like if this is on us to somehow bring light even into our families that it's, it's exhausting but the wonderful news is, is Jesus is fundamentally saying I am the lamp I am the light of the world and I'm hidden but I'm coming like one day everyone is going to see me and know me. And so we go, fantastic, that's a relief, okay? That is a big fat relief. What do we do? Do we just wait for Jesus? Look with me here, the key call to action he gives in verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more. So do you see that? He's saying, what do we do? The main thing we do is we use the knowledge, the measure of the knowledge that God has given us about God again and again and again. 
It's like, it's not, he's saying it's not okay just to have knowledge. You need to use knowledge, particularly the knowledge of the return of Christ. He's saying with the measure that this bit of information that Jesus Christ, number one, is resurrected, and number two, he's returning, and number three, he will reward us as we live for him, and he will also judge the living and the dead. As we use that bit of information to shape my life every day, every decision, he's returning, he's returning, he's returning. Even if you think, I don't really get much more than that, Tom. That's okay. Even if you're like me, who I'm 44, but I have this tiny bit of, I, I think, you know, I basically get the, the gist of it. He's saying with the measure that, Tom, you use that information to live your life, it will be given more to you. The measure that you use it. What he's saying is, is don't be like someone who has, like, for example, a really amazing $2,000 mountain bike in your garage that you never use. You know, he wants us to use the information, the knowledge, the light that you have been given. And he's saying, the more you use it, the more I'll give you. Have you ever noticed that with people? There's certain people who... You know, in their devotions, they get one little bit of truth and then they bring it into everything. Do you know people like that? Maybe you're someone like that. I try to be someone like that. Oh, yeah, it's a bit like this. It's a bit like that. Because there's this principle that um, the one thing God's saying it's not okay to do is to hold on to and bury the talent, the truth, the knowledge that you do have. The one thing he's saying I'm inviting you to do is to use it. And notice he says, as you use it, I will measure it to you. He's saying, I will be no man's debtor. You know, it's not like he's asking you to just give and give and give and just burn out. He's saying, no, no, as you give, as you actually use that information about the return of Christ with how you pray, I pray in light of the return of Christ. That should affect how often and what it's like how I pray. It should affect whether I give my money, my money or not. Or whether I go, actually, no, no, put it through the filter of his return. Oh, it's Jesus' money, and he's going to ask me what I've done with it. Oh, wow, so I live differently. Do you understand? I use that bit of information, not just with praying or giving. It's how I approach forgiveness. When I feel like this person has really wronged me, and I can either just let it fester, or I can say, but I'm going to use the truth that I know that Christ will surely return. And I need to actually be someone, therefore, who lives in terms of forgiving 70 times 7 in light of that bit of information. It should affect our singleness. I mean, the Apostle Paul, you know, singleness is often seen by someone like this curse. And the Apostle Paul in Corinthians is like, I wish everyone was like me. Marriage is this temporary thing. In heaven, there's going to be no more marriage. And he literally says, oh, because of the return of Christ and the new heaven and the new earth, I wish everyone was like me. Because people who get married, you get a bit distracted by life. Domestic stuff takes over. I mean, Paul literally, he used the measure. He knew, I understand that Christ is going to return. And so I'm going to live differently. So this is, this is, this is huge for us. And um, it's this sense in which the question is, how are we using the measure that we have of the knowledge of Jesus' return? How does that actually affect us in our workplace with our pursuit of trying to be holy how does it actually affect us you know the number what he's saying is the number one way to do God's will 
is to know God will return. It's like if I want to know about God's will, one of the key things is to realise he will return. And that needs to keep repeatedly affecting how I live. How I live. And I think... I think one of the things that, for us, particularly in this day and age in, the, in America, where a lot of people know the basic idea, they've heard, oh yeah, that Jesus is going to come back. One of the things that, in my experience, most people who would say they're not Christians have not seen, it's not so much just the message, it's the messenger. You know, we were, I was uh, with some friends this week, and this car drove past with this massive flag saying, Jesus is coming back. And it had this blasting worship music, and written all over the car, it was like, Jesus is returning, Jesus is returning. And, and it was driving around the city, and we were like, wowzers, they, uh, they go for it, you know. Um, but what was so ironic, one of, one of us commented, they had these incredibly serious faces, and were sort of scowling as they were driving, and, you know, going to, I was just thinking, you know, in some ways they're using the knowledge they have, praise God, so I don't want to despise that. But in some ways, this call to be light to be those who actually Philippians says do everything without complaining and grumbling in a crooked and depraved generation and then you will shine like stars I think the invitation for us to use this information that Christ is returning is not just to scream at people Christ is coming back although I think it involves words I think a lot of it is actually about how we actually love in terms of our flavour of our lives a flavour of our lives and how that actually shapes us. I was recently um, in a conversation with someone and uh, a business person in this city and they were about to be fired and they came over for a meal and uh, they were planning, a Christian, planning to protect themselves and to do potentially very interesting things in order to make sure they were in a position of as, power, as much powerful, as power as possible. And I was listening to this, and, and, and at one level really understanding, understanding this, because there was an injustice that felt like it was happening to this person. And they were pouring out their frustration and their lament at, at this, and saying, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to take this, and I'm going to make sure I get this payout, and da 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 And then after about maybe half an hour to an hour, and we'd eaten together, um, we started, me and Josie just started to say, I, I, I feel for you. What do you think Christ might say How, what, any thoughts about some of the things and the ways that he lived and there was a silence and then they started saying well I suppose Christ did talk about for, forgiveness and actually kind of li- loving our enemies and even about turning the other cheek and if someone asks you to do something to even you know to give more and hopefully that, that next hour in our little living room you know, just this little living room, just a normal evening with normal food, just talking about basic stuff of Christ and, in a sense, thinking about his return and his presence. The whole direction changed and this person started to weep. And they said, man, I feel like you've almost saved me from this path I was going on. And I was saved to say, do you understand? You had this moment with all these bosses who were going to probably fire you you just to say I am living with a different set of values I'm living to please him I'm living none of this is mine and money is not my king and I'm going to have integrity 
and I'm going to have a clear conscience and I'm not going to lash back even though every fiber of me wants to. And I was so proud of this person. And it was like a holy moment amidst kids, you know, getting ready for school and pasta, you know, being eaten, just in our little lounge. And I said to this person, you need us. God's put you in this position of real influence at a young age. But you know what? You need the church. You need, we, you need us and we need you. There's a sense in which for you to stay in a place where you use the truth that you now know that Christ is the king and he's returning. Man, it's so easy to not use it. Gloriously, that person then reported back that in the meeting that came up, that board meeting, they said it wasn't perfect and I got frustrated. <laughs> but I did so much better than I would have done. And we have to believe that actually that matters. That has an impact. So my first point then is, and it's the longest one, don't worry, is this. <laughs> is God can do so much with a little light. And how much are we using the light we do have with regards the return of Christ and how we live? Secondarily, Jesus then says this in the second parable. Verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and he grows. Though he does not know how. So again, we see Jesus is like releasing us from pressure. We can often think, uh, maybe it was just me maybe, in life, you know, for me to do what God would want for me, I need to have a very solid plan. I need to have some semblance of knowing Kind of, if I'm going to do these things, it's going to work out, right? If you're going to invest in things, time and energy, you need to have a plan. I mean, we live in a city with an awful lot of very smart, very business savvy people. And, you know, the implicit culture is you need to have a plan so that success is as much guaranteed as possible, right? But what do we see here with Jesus? He's got this beautiful picture of this kind of like this farmer. The kingdom of God is not like this meticulous bulletproof plan that gives you a sense of control. It's like a farmer and his one role, similar to the first point, is just to use it. It's just to scatter the seed. Scatter. And then he sleeps. And he has, you know, dreams. And then he wakes up and, and there's growth, Right? And he's saying the kingdom of God is kind of like that. I know we all want to pretend we understand how it works. You know, there's so many Christian conferences that are based on the lie that we have any idea when certain things seem to grow, that we know why and how that's happened. And she's like, it's just ridiculous. You have no idea, Tom. You have no idea, oh, Christian people. You are a sleepy farmer, (laughs) an average, normal farmer who is just called to scatter and the pressure is off. And actually, when you think about even Jesus, again, it's kind of, it's actually kind of what his life was like. Jesus scattered, okay? He slept. He's trusted the Lord. And actually, when you read about his life, an awful lot of the seed that he scattered, nothing seemed to happen with. He healed so many more people than those who ever actually even followed him. But Jesus seemed to have this Almost this sense of like, man, my call is to scatter. It's only my father who can make anyone even come to me. There was a relaxedness with Jesus 
that in the following story that Jackie's going to look at next week, not to be a, a bit of a spoiler, but I will spoil it, uh, it's the story where Jesus is asleep in the boat, right? He's asleep in the boat in the middle of a storm and everyone's freaking out going, Jesus, how irresponsible of you. And Jesus is like, you know, having a little nap. And a lot of commentators point out the connection between this parable of the farmer who's so relaxed. I'm just scattering. I'm going to have a nap now. I'm just going to trust my father, right? Do you see the feel of it? How do we, how do we obey God? The second thing he's saying is, man, I can do so much with just a little bit of scattering. Just a little bit of you giving out, I can do so much with. And you don't have to be someone who, who puts the self-imposed pressure that at the end of your life, you need to have a certain measurable metric of what success will be. The reality is that we, we are people who scatter all the time, right? We watch each other. Humans watch each other. We pick up on things and we either scatter good seed or not, right? So as parents or as singles, as people in all of our life, we're constantly scattering. And uh, Josie and I were in Goodwill uh, in Fillmore a few months ago and this woman came up to us and she said, oh, I've noticed your family. I've noticed you. You're such a great family. You know, and she basically, I don't quite know what her metric was. I think it was that there was a mum and a dad and some kids, basically. She, and was, like, she was a psychologist. Oh, what, what, what oh. was she, what did she say? Oh, you want me to tell well, the story? Well, no, no, not the whole story, but just like, <laughs> can she, what, was, what was the point? What was I her main thing? I think particularly seeing you as a dad interacting with your girls about like their clothes and yeah. being together as a family. She, I think she obviously as a therapist. <laughs> she, she had had lots of bad experience, you know, lots of yeah. awful experiences of children feeling like their parents weren't interested in them. There you go. So, so the point being, like we did, we were just going shopping in Goodwill, right? I had no idea that this lady was apparently like spying on us as we went week by week. <laughs> But it just made me realise that, oh my gosh, like in a weird way, it made us feel more significant than we realised. That we are all more significant than we realise. I remember years ago, I was an atheist, I came to faith at university, I told my friends over this, I just talked about what had happened. Years later, one of them, she's not a Christian, and she said to me, I'll never forget what you said. You said as a Christian now, you believe that God is your father. So I've, just, I've just never got over that one point you said. I don't have a, a decent relationship with my dad. And she's not a Christian. But she's, and I don't even remember saying that. But she was like, you said that. At some point, I scattered that one tiny little thing. Being around Dave Andrews over the last three weeks, if you know Dave, I don't want to make him feel embarrassed. It's like a living example of what this is exactly talking about. This idea that... If you know Dave, and Dave is quick to say we're all different, okay? So there's no like, oh, I've got to be like Dave. But Dave will talk to anyone repeatedly, quickly, immediately about Jesus. And I'm learning what he's, I'm listening to what he's saying, and it's, and it's always full of grace. It's like Jesus, like, my name's, my name's Dave, I'm a Christian. And I just want to say to you, Jesus loves you. And he loves you, and you're his masterpiece. And you don't need to be like anyone else. I just want you to know that. And if they seem interested, he'll go a bit further. But often just that's enough. 
And I'm not joking, you know, we had a guy come over because our dryer broke within 10 seconds. Dave's like, can I just say, we're in Blaze Pizza and there's this very tall young man, he's probably about 18, about six foot eight. And I, I, I now get to know Dave, I'm like, give, I'm like three, two, one, there he is. And he's like, hello, you look like my son. Do you know what, I'm Dave. And I'm just like, man. And it's kind of, it's kind of overwhelming, if I'm honest. In some ways, it's just like, gosh, I feel so like, you know, do I ever tell anyone? But actually, like, it's a gift. It's a gift for, for me and for us to say, actually, this is possible. Now, we're all different, okay? So I can't say that enough. The Bible says that. But there is a sense in which, what does it, let me ask you this question, what does it look like for you in your joy lane, doing the things that bring you joy, to scatter <coughs> something, some little nugget of the goodness of God in your everyday life, more and more and more? What does it mean? Because I think, honestly, and I think you'll agree with this, when, when, you, when, when God is, when you're in a place where you're, you are feeling pretty close to God, and God's active in your life, you're more natural, it's more, you don't think about it so much, right? My big brother, uh, I mentioned, who came to Christ six months ago, age 50, unbelievable, and he went to his first ever communion a few weeks ago, and he went, and um, it was, it literally, blew his brain. I mean, he said I was a mess as I took the body of Christ and I drank his wine. And he was driving through Devon, where he lives, and, and he ran a red light off the church. And this guy honked him and he went, I'm sorry, I beat the church! And just drove off. And he was just like scattering seed, just like he wasn't trying to be sophisticated. There's an amazing story I read out recently. Matthew Paris. He's a very famous atheist who writes for the, the British Times a lot. In July the 5th, he wrote this recently. He wrote a little piece just says, Jesus loves me. Have you guys heard this? He says, it was late, nearly midnight, and I was walking the six miles from a pleasant and lively speaking event, not 500 yards from the Carlton Club. The journey took me down Fleet Street and straight through the city. Streets and lanes ghostly, almost deserted at that hour. On a corner close to the Bank of England, I paused at a complicated intersection. A cyclist pulled up beside me. He was in his twenties, a bit dishevelled and hairy. <laughs> I like that touch. Hairy, but harmless looking. He was riding. He was riding a delivery bike, no doubt with a late delivery. I had been paid a thousand pounds for attending a dinner. He was being paid perhaps fourteen pounds an hour. You're Matthew Paris, he informed me. I confirm this. He said, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? I replied that I'm sure Jesus existed and love and respect the character whose description has come down to us through the ages, but I do not believe that he was the son of God and I do not believe in God at all. And he said, but he said, he said was, but sorry, but he said he was, said the young man. I replied that Jesus was probably under a misapprehension. The cyclist paused to think, well, he said, Jesus loves you, even if you won't acknowledge him. And I will pray for you. And with that, he cycled off. And he said, he walked, Matthew's power said, I walked on strangely warmed in my heart. He wrote an article in the Times about it. Some guy on a delivery bike. Scattering seed. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus says, love your, en love your enemies and love your neighbours. He didn't say you have to convert them. Although we pray that many will come to know Jesus. Our job is to express something of the, of the love of God to them. 
Finally, we, um, God can do so much through a little light, a little scattering, but finally a little seed. And I love this final story. Some of you commented on it, the mustard seed. Again, commentators say, isn't it interesting? Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like, ba, 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 ba. and you would think he would say, a mighty warrior, or like a huge wave of glory, or something. And he says, it's like a mustard seed. You know, it's this like, ah, this kind of gear change, crunching moment of shock, where Jesus is trying to use the most shocking, but releasing picture he can think of. It is like a tiny, weak mustard seed. And again, when we think about how do we do God's will, right? Most of us think, well, I need to be, I feel like there's pressure to be strong, to be powerful. Again, living in the bay, this is the air we breathe. It's like you need to have an impressive, big, powerful life. What are your credentials? How many, how many, uni- how many degrees have you done? Uh, what? You know, it's normal to do one, two, three. There's a sense of um, self-promotion and a sense of a, you know, a resume that's this long and I worked for this company for this period and now I work for this even more powerful company. You know, there's a sense of celebration of power, right, in this, in this part of the world in particular. So it's so amazing that Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a little, small, weak mustard seed. Anyone here feel like a small, weak, tiny mustard seed? Isn't it amazing? Jesus, there is no shame from the voice of Jesus if you feel small and weak. No shame. That is not from Jesus. Jesus looks at you and you, and you maybe are a little mustard seed <laughs> and, and invisible to most people. But Jesus is saying, no, listen, I came and I lived in a stable, was born in a stable, I had a teenage mum. This is God himself. I, I lived in Nazareth, Nowhereville. I, I, I gathered 12 very normal men who fought a lot and one of them betrayed me. <laughs> You know, I countlessly told people about God and most didn't listen. And they crucified me naked on a cross. The Christian God's highest moment of glory is our Jesus, betrayed by everyone, hanging naked on a cross. The ultimate mustard seed. The ultimate redefining of what success is. Hanging there, effectively saying for all of us, for centuries to come, would say, this is truly what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like. If you want to obey, hear and obey, you will have echoes of this in your life where you feel so weak. So, I mean, I have felt, again, and I've said this so many times, this country bumpkin from England. Like, why are we in this sort of powerhouse global city? I walk around the city and I see both the poverty that's shocking and literally the death at times on the streets. And then I see the powerful and the, most, the, the wealth that's mind-boggling. And both of those extremes c- kind of crush me in a way. And I just feel more and more drained and like small and like, what, how, how can I or we do anything? And then we remember that's not where it ends, Right? It's not where it ends. It says, start to mustard seed, but it says here, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. 
And there is a sense in which we are called to understand, like Jesus, and he's saying this, he's saying, like at the moment, this whole Jesus movement, right, is this small mustard seed. And there's a sense in which even now, when we look around the world and you think 2% of people go to church in San Francisco, it's still a mustard seed, right? It's still got that feel in the world. Most churches, when you get close to them, are pretty broken and weak and they're not this shiny thing that we all hope they will be. It still feels mustard seed land, right? 2,000 years later. But the promise is this. He says, um, Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in the shade. Hallelujah. It begins as a mustard seed, but we are believing for a mighty plant whose branches are so strong that even the birds from all the world can come and, 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 and find their strength there. It begins as a mustard seed, but we believe again and again in your life, in this church's life, for a mighty plant. We do not despise the day of small things, but we also say, God, I am believing. I am believing for a mighty plant. The, the things that he's doing in you right now, okay? Some of you for the first time, it's a mustard seed. I'm actually believing that God's proud of me. And I've never actually heard that voice. I've just known the voice of shame in my life. It's like a mustard seed. And we can go, oh, it's so small. It's so weak, you can just get this extinguished. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm cheering you on as that mustard seed starts to grow in you. I can see it in my life. I've lived with so much shame and anxiety for decades. And over the last few years, there's this mustard seed in me that's growing more and more into a new way of living where I can actually dare to believe that Jesus does like me and he's not angry with me and he's for me and he's cheering me on. And those other voices, the inner critic and the shame and everything that's just been on overdrive for so many years is slowly getting smaller as the mustard seed grows. Where is he at work in your life? What are those things in your life, those mustard seed things that are bit by bit growing? Maybe it's your patience. Maybe it's your ability to be present to the present rather than always thinking about the next thing. Where is the mustard seed growing into a mighty plant? Maybe it's in terms of how you measure success in your life. But this is, this is our God and he is one who repeatedly wants to lift our gaze and our faith to say, listen, I can do so much with even a tiny little mustard seed. Those things in your life that are so small can ultimately grow into such mighty things. I, in many ways, yet this is why we are here. Some of you, I think of Kelsey. No, Kelsey's here somewhere. She's over there. I think of Kelsey, I know we've mentioned this, but I think of the art group, like a mustard seed. I'm going to do something to bless the mums of this city. It's a little idea. I have no idea if it's going to work. Let's give it a go. Oh, 15 mums and 25 kids on the very first gathering. As we start a new year, hoping for another six new families in addition to that. So now we're talking 20 to 30 families that are growing from a mustard seed into an ever-increasing mighty plant. There's this principle 
that God calls us to see whether it's outward, whether it's inward amongst the Christian brothers and sisters, or whether it's outward with our God. Where, where is the mustard seed starting to germinate in your life? And how is God leading that on into a place of even becoming a mighty, a mighty plant? I've talked with several of you today, and it's interesting how similar the conversations have been. Basically, work's overwhelming. But somehow, there's this mustard seed in me. There's this sense of God's provision and carrying me through that's growing all the time. Even though work is like this, I'm feeling something internal happening. It's wonderful. I would say, in some ways, so much of my personal life and my personal story has felt like this whole mustard seed deal. I, I remember, again, as an atheist at university, one Saturday night, everyone's coming out of a bar, and this girl who I vaguely knew, I was like, oh, hi, uh, Susie, have you been out for a beer? And, and in front of everyone, she just said three words, mustard seed, right? Three tiny words. She just said, no, I've been praying. And those three words literally like, invaded me. And in front of all these people, she just said it, bold as brass, she said it, I've been praying. And those three words got into my soul, and I could not ignore this, this bizarre new question in my life, which was, is Christianity real? Is it real? Is it real? I end up going to this church, end up becoming a Christian, a Christian and this thing starts to grow. And when I look back over my life, how then the pastor at the end of... Uh, when I finished my degree and was going to go off and make my millions, he just said, oh, just a tiny idea. Would you be an intern just for one year? Oh, and the mustard seed comes again. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that, but I, all right. And he's like, and will you work with college students? I'm like, no way, college students. But the seed goes in, okay. And, and then Josie joins us and for the first year, mustard seed. We just had six students and one one phone, one landline. That was all we had. And over the next three years, it grew from six to 120, 130 college students. God was using it. I think about how then God planted nine communities, nine churches out of City Church in Canterbury over those 10 years. I think about how then I ended up meeting some, some guys over here through our network and started coming to America. And I remember those mustard seeds every time I came. Like, I wonder if one day I might end up over here. And then one day I met a guy called Travis, who some of you know, and he was in California where I'd never been, and ended up coming here, and on the last day of the trip, sitting on his driveway, suddenly I start weeping, and I'm like, why am I crying? It's my sabbatical, I should be happy. And I felt the Spirit say, because you're, you're going to live here one day, and you're grieving now what you will miss from England. And then that mustard seed continues to grow, and God makes a way for us to come to first of Visalia and then to San Francisco and some of you then hear oh God might be doing something in San Francisco and that mustard seed gets in your heart at a conference or wherever it might be and bit by bit by bit God starts to continue to grow this thing so friends I, I just think to myself you are more significant than you realise God is at work in each of our hearts and this is as I finish let me ask you this question where is the mustard seed in your life that the Spirit of God is highlighting right now? What is the thing that He is wanting you to cultivate and to see continue to grow? 
Because God can do so much with so little. And it's only often when we look back in life, isn't it, that we go, oh yeah, of course. The divine hand and the providence of God throughout my life. In the moment, it just feels like these little weak things, these tiny things that we could even overlook, right? But as we finish, and Kate, I don't know if you want to come and um, at least get ready. We're going to break bread first and then sing a final song. But even as we break bread, and Tim, if you could lead us through that in just a moment, it's a perfect way for us to respond. To take this little bit of bread and this little bit of juice and to say, Lord, I'm not going to despise the little light that you're calling me to bring in light of your great light that one day will soon cover this earth. What next step might he have for us where we can bring a little bit of light into our workplaces, into the world around us? What ways can we grow in even just a little scattering? You know, it might be just, I'm actually going to make eye contact as I walk my dog. I'm actually just going to ask a question. Hey, how are you? I'm going to take one more step in being someone who scatters and trusting that as I do that messy scattering, God's going to do great growth. And in all of it, we trust that we may feel like little mustard seeds, pretty small, pretty weak. But actually, man, we, we start as mustard seed, but we are believing for mighty plants. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just take a moment. I'm going to close your eyes.